you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellways supports 3CR. Refugee Radio, 855 AM, 3CR. We want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land who we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and respect the elders past, present and emerging and their ongoing struggle. Welcome to Refugee Radio on 3CR, listening on 855 AM or on 3cr.org.au. First up, we're going to hear a little bit of information on some refugees who have been stuck on the Belarusian-Lithuanian border. This is also a situation that's occurring on the border of Belarus and Poland. So please have a listen to Marsha, who is part of the Voices of Belarus project. Right, editing Masha here. The next part of the episode is about refugees coming from the Belarusian side to Lithuania and how Lithuania is not happy about it at all. I'm re-recording this right now because I originally thought they were Belarusian refugees, but turns out they're not. Turns out since the beginning of this year, 2,470 migrants have tried to get to Lithuania through Belarus, and most of them are from the Near East. That is almost 30 times more than in the entirety of the year 2020. And the nature of the conflict is as follows. Somebody in Belarus is telling these people that they can go to the Lithuanian border and will be accepted there by the Lithuanian authorities, which is not the case. Most likely, they are also collecting payment for it and charging these migrants, these refugees, to get them to the Lithuanian border, where they obviously get turned away because nobody's waiting for them there. Lithuania is not thrilled about it. They just adopted a resolution recognizing this as hybrid aggression. They are strengthening the border and trying to do everything to prevent this many people coming legally from Belarus. What's funny about it, and when I say funny in these episodes, please, please always know that what I mean is horrifying, but it's so ridiculous to a fault that it's almost funny if you don't have a heart. What's funny about this is that Lukashenko has actually offered Lithuanian authorities to help them with immigration for a price. And that just, to me personally, is undeniable proof that he is responsible for this migration. So to sum it up, he's in conflict with Lithuania. He is enabling and gaslighting these migrants, these refugees that are seeking help, that are seeking support to go to the Lithuanian border where nobody's prepared for them as a threat or as revenge against Lithuanian authorities that don't support his authoritarian regime and then he's offering the Lithuanian authorities his help in exchange for cash. Listening to Refugee Radio and we just heard a little bit of information about refugees who are stuck on the Belarusian Lithuanian border and that is from the Voices from Belarus project. 
We had been discussing around the situation in Belarus previously about people who have been seeking refuge in Poland, but there has been this ongoing situation of people trying to reach Europe through Belarus, which is a really tricky situation as well. So you can keep up to date on some situations around that. Just look up Voices from Belarus and you can find that on social media online. So next we're going to be focusing a little bit on Afghan refugees. Of course thinking about the 20th anniversary of the Tampa affair and also the current situation in Afghanistan. I thought that we would be nice to be playing an interview around an Afghan refugee who has had some hope in the recent times. So I'm going to be playing an interview from refugees on air. So please have a listen. Hello everyone, you're listening to Refugees On Air. This is our sixth episode with author and refugee from Afghanistan, Asan Daleri. How are you, Asan? I'm good. Thank you very much. That's, That's good. good. We're really glad to have you here. We've yep. kind of taken a bit of a short break from Refugees On Air, but yep. we're back. and We're back and better. Yes. <laughs> you're our sixth refugee that we've had the pleasure to interview. So let's get things started. How would you describe your life back in Kabul in Afghanistan? Oh, thank you for inviting me to the <laughs> studios uh, today. And, That's okay. Uh, you know, it, I know that you're at school and you're taking your time yeah. <laughs> to yeah. do this. This is really great. Thank you. Uh, well, I, I used to work in an NGO, yep. which is the um, you know, not-for-profit organization, yep. Yep. helping uh, communities in um, 12 provinces of Afghanistan. Yep. And uh, I was one of the main planners of uh, that organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you went and you studied in Pakistan and Ireland, isn't that, is that correct? Yeah, in 1992, when uh, the situation became really unsafe, yep. uh, and there was war going on uh, in Kabul, yeah. so um, a lot of people had to leave mm-hmm. Afghanistan for obvious reasons because yep. of safety. So we we went to Pakistan where I studied, and uh, then in 2003, when the situation became peaceful in Afghanistan, I yep. uh, came back. Uh, mm-hmm. Along with my family, of course, and yep. uh, you know, later I got a scholarship and I went to Ireland to mm-hmm. do my masters. Right. Nice. And uh, what did you specialize in when your masters? The course was international development, and um, mm-hmm. yep. I had to do a thesis um, to qualify for uh, my masters. Yeah. So I, you know, I specialized in uh, livelihood, mm-hmm. and I chose uh, a topic which was the alternative livelihood. As you know, I chose saffron mm-hmm. as an alternative to opium. That was the thesis mm-hmm. or the theme of my thesis that I was completing. Yep. And wha- why did you decide to write about that specific topic? Well, there were so many options that I could write my thesis on because, you know, the work that I did back home was quite varied and uh, mm-hmm. we had a few focus areas. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, as you know, Afghanistan, uh, unfortunately, is one of the prime producers of uh, opium. Mm-hmm. And there are many, many farmers who would like to have, uh, you know, a means that is a means of livelihood that is viable, that is legal, and uh, that is acceptable. Yeah. But there aren't many uh, opportunities for them. So I, I, w- I was thinking about it, and I was reading a lot about that area, and I thought, 
if I could uh, do a bit of contribution in that space, mm -hmm. uh, that would be really good. And uh, not only I achieve my masters, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but also, you know, uh, alongside uh, that, I would be able to help some farmers mm -hmm. uh, make that move. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Why did you decide to come to Australia to present your thesis? I was invited for the Parliament of the World's Religions, mm -hmm. and I was working, I, I was presenting actually on conflict management, and, um, mm -hmm. you know, the uh, focus of my presentation was conflict resolution from the Islamic perspective, yep. and also the um, cultural aspects of our culture mm -hmm. that uh, involved conflict management and conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. so that is, uh, that's how I was invited to come and present um, our work actually yep. there in that conference. Yep. So do you want to talk a little bit about why you couldn't go back to Kabul when you were in Australia presenting your work? As, as I mentioned earlier, I think the type of work that I used to do mm -hmm. uh, put me under great risk. Yep. Not only me, there were many, many people working in that space yep. were risking their lives because um, there were so many people who were not you know, happy about what I was promoting and what mm -hmm. um, I was doing. Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, that put me in a precarious situation. Um, mm -hmm. And also the type of work that I used to do in that organization in the provinces or areas that we used to work with people put me under great uh, risk. Yeah. So these are some of the reasons that I actually could not go back, although I really wanted, but you know, my mm -hmm. family and my friends advised me that I should wait. Yep. And yep. Uh, that's why I couldn't go back. And I waited uh, for a few months and I really wanted to go back. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know. You were advised not to. Yeah. 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 Um, that was when you were granted asylum in Australia. Is that correct? When you had to stay here? Yeah, look, I had three months visa. I could yep. stay uh, here. So I stayed uh, for three months and I didn't decide to lodge my application for yep. asylum yep. because I, I was hopeful that I would return. But yep. since that did not happen, I had no option but to mm -hmm. lodge my uh, mm -hmm. application for seeking asylum here in Australia. It must have been heartbreaking to not be able to go back to your home country. Yeah, oh. it was, you know, uh, initially uh, I just thought, okay, Sometimes you make a decision mm. um, due to, you know, circumstances. Sometimes you, you're obliged to uh, make right. that decision. So uh, I made that decision. Then all of a sudden I sat back and I realized that, oh, what I have lost, you know, uh, yeah. all yeah. the network that I had, my mm. job. And here I landed somewhere that I had very little things to know about. And yeah. also yeah. Uh, not many people that I knew and yeah, yeah. no family. It was extremely hard. Yeah. Definitely. Um, how long did you stay um, in Australia for without any family? From 2010 up to 2013. So okay. four years I was away from my family. Okay. And you applied for them to come to Australia, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. And how, how did you feel like that moment that the application was granted and you like, saw them for the first time after four years? I was able to go back to Pakistan where they uh, oh, yeah. they yeah. were there. So I used to visit them each year, mm -hmm. you know, in that four-year yeah, period. But when I went for the final time to bring them here, it was mm -hmm. extremely joyous for me yeah, and a right, great yeah. moment in my life because I would be reunited yeah. with my children. Yes. What difficulties did you face 
when you were being granted asylum in Australia? When I was uh, uh, applying for my you know, asylum and the application was uh, under process. Mm -hmm. uh, situation, uh, when it comes to asylum seeking situation, mm -hmm. it wasn't even close to what is happening at the moment. Mm -hmm. right. It was tough, it was not easy. I had all these worries in the mm -hmm. back of my mind that yep. if my application is uh, refused, what mm -hmm. am I going to do? Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a major source of worry. Yep. But uh, since, you know, my case was uh, quite evident. Uh, mm -hmm. Everything um, that I did was, I don't think it was an issue for me to, to prove that I was really under immense risk. Yep. Uh, but it was extremely hard. I went into depression uh, yep. and I, of course, being away from your, your family, family yeah. friends and mm. having nothing to do, mm -hmm. uh, having come from a very active and busy life back yep. home to a situation where literally you you don't have anything to do. Yeah. It's extremely hard. Yep. So let's get talking about the work that you decided to do here in Australia. What inspired you to write Raised in Conflict Growing Up in Afghanistan? Look, when I came here and uh, I saw the situation of refugees, but mm -hmm. also I met a lot of people who had very little idea about life of uh, refugees and mm -hmm. asylum seekers yep. and uh, I thought it will be a good idea to record some of the moments of my life yep. and also share it with the uh, you know people yep. that are interested in um, you know in reading Learning about, about yep. in exploring about life of uh, refugees and asylum seekers mm -hmm. but also I wanted to leave a legacy for my children mm -hmm. uh, so that you know when they grow up you know they read and they understand that how their father uh, traveled along the journey of life uh, yeah. but also learn you know whatever they see um, at the moment comes you know the the source is there you know and because I mentioned quite a lot about my childhood yeah. where I grew up yeah. that would hopefully help my children understand and appreciate life back uh, home uh, yeah. in my first home Afghanistan yeah. and it will be a source of learning for them and for other people yes as well. definitely yeah. so how can our listeners buy your book well, actually, I ran out of uh, that, I, uh, and I um, uh, all copies are sold out. I'm thinking of uh, writing the second uh, episode of that book. Uh, yeah. That book really focused on uh, my life in uh, Afghanistan, yeah. but the second um, episode of that would focus on my life in here. Yes. That's why I'm dilly-dallying uh, mm -hmm. on not reprinting mm -hmm. the book. Mm -hmm. So I have all the notes and, and so on. It's just a matter of time that I mm -hmm. get it. Together. So that, yeah, yeah. I put it together. Oh, in, that in would be so good. Yeah, yeah, what are you gonna call the next chapter? It's raised in conflict part two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Do it. Raised in conflict, um, living in Australia now. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. So what work or volunteer positions have you done so far in Australia? I started actually my uh, career here in Australia as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. uh, because it was extremely hard to get into employment here yep. because everyone was asking about so-called local experience, although I had many, many years of work experience. Mm -hmm. So I started a volunteer work with a few organizations uh, here in Australia. Then I also volunteered with some local community organizations. Yep. I started working uh, as a volunteer with Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, and yep. I also worked 
as a volunteer uh, with uh, Asylum Seekers Resource, Resource Center, Center. Yep. with the uh, Crisis Hub, uh, Humanitarian Crisis Hub. Now mm-hmm. they are called uh, Diaspora uh, Action Australia. I worked as a volunteer with the Imam Ali Islamic Center, and we also a group of uh, volunteers uh, mm-hmm. visiting and uh, making contacts with asylum seekers yep. in detention centers, and we go and visit them during certain occasions. Mm-hmm. Yep. So these are they are still continuing uh, some of my volunteer work, but. Uh, you know, uh, I got kids, and you know, if you have kids, life gets really busy. So yeah. <laughs> I had to cut back on my mm-hmm. volunteer work, yep. but I still do a lot of work with um, a group that I mentioned. The the volunteer positions and everything that you've done is that inspired you because of your own experience when you came here? Yeah, uh, look, um, volunteer work that I just mentioned, I went through that situation in that phase of life I really appreciated people and the volunteers who provided support to me while mm-hmm. I was yep. seeking asylum mm-hmm. and I uh, thought how should I pay them back yeah pay them back but also how should I be someone that could uh, have that inspiring role and that uh, mm-hmm. supportive role yep. and um, I, I thought why not to get into that space yep. yes what advice do you have for any refugees settling here and waiting for fa- for their families to arrive? Oh well, I think it's it is life is tough for asylum seekers, yep. especially at this uh, moment. A couple of things that comes uh, to my mind is I think it's easy to say stay positive, but you know you need to take some steps to stay positive. You know I, I think if you could engage. Um, find opportunities to busy yourself, uh, you know, visiting local libraries, local spaces. There are many, many programs that are going on uh, in your local areas. Uh, You know, local councils provide some really good uh, programs. You could be involved in that. And uh, the other thing is also looking after yourself. Um, exercising and uh, making sure you have balanced diet and look after your diet do whatever you like if you're into listening to music just do that if you're into sports do that whatever you're passionate about just follow that and um, Mm -hmm. there are many many people that love to help of course there are some odd people as well that don't want to engage with um, asylum seekers Mm -hmm. but there are many many people out there in the community that could help and what advice do you have for any listeners regarding welcoming refugees and helping them into settling in australia i made a lot of friends actually i met them first time i continued and i think one uh, one program that really helped me find some really good friends and we are still in contact and we yep. are like best friends family mm. friends they hosted us uh, you know as part of a program called the healing trail mm-hmm. so we had a host you know i had a host for a couple of nights yep. and uh, from there we just became friends and they they had very little idea about life of uh, refugees and asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also learned a lot about life in Australia, but mm-hmm. uh, they also had an opportunity to learn about life of uh, refugees. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think one piece of advice that I can give uh, to people is that, you know, uh, when you see uh, someone that is seeking asylum, you know, sometimes they may be shy. You can go and approach them and ask them questions that, and say, that, how can I help? Mm-hmm. It's a simple question, but it you know it can change the life of an asylum seeker. That's so true. Do you have any specific plans for the future, or anything that you wish to achieve? 
Uh, well, of course, uh, I have... Um, the second book. As I mentioned, I have yep. the second episode of my book. Yeah. I really want down the track to establish a place where, you know, a space where people come, eat, enjoy, and a community space where, you know, it's a meeting space mm-hmm. for communities to connect, yep. to learn from one another, and to share whatever they want to share, mm-hmm. that community space, that's actually my kind of a dream. Uh, I might, it might be called a community restaurant, it might be called a community space. Yep. Uh, but that is something that I really, down the track, I would really want to yep. have that. Yep. Um, what are you hoping to provide within the space? Just space and opportunity for people cool to come to and interact yep. and to yeah. learn from one another. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll be just a catalyst, um, yep. a facilitator of that communication uh, and that dialogue uh, mm-hmm. between people. And yep. um, of course, as I mentioned, it could be a community restaurant, it could yep. be community space. But my aim is to help communities run different programs from there, but also try to be uh, someone that could contribute and help communities connect with with one another yes that's perfect thank you so so much asan for coming in today Uh, we've had the pleasure of hearing your story and you know getting you to talk about your interesting and adventurous life (laughs) and we wish you the best of luck for your future plans and your second episode of your wonderful book thank you so much Uh, yeah thank you it was pleasure talking with you and Good luck. You're doing a fantastic job. And I think, you know, what I mentioned, hopefully provide a bit of window of opportunity for people to learn about life of asylum seekers and refugees. So that's our main aim. Also, if you open up the community restaurant, we'd love to come yes. and help. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let us know. I'll let you know. <laughs> if you'd like to listen to more Refugees on Air, we've got all our episodes on iTunes. If you just search up Refugees on Air. Also, we have our Facebook page, which is at Refugees on Air Sin. Our Instagram and Twitter are at Refugees on Air. You can chuck us a follow or a like and you'll be updated with our crazy lives. And <laughs> thanks for listening. You're on Refugee Radio on 3CR and we're just listening to an interview produced by Refugees on Air, which is produced by Sin FM. So you can have a listen to lots of amazing episodes done by them. Just have a search up for Refugees on Air and there's a few episodes you can listen to and podcasts as well and as I mentioned thinking about the 20th anniversary of the Tampa affair which just brought on really horrible policies and opinions towards refugees and this whole idea of strong borders and uh, border force and such things so I thought we would listen to a song to finish this show and it is by a Hazara artist or artists through the Refugees for Refugees performance uh, from Brussels and this is a song Amina and it's featuring Aman Yusufi and it's in Hazaragi as well so Just on a side note, of course, the Hazara community are really targeted in Afghanistan, especially by the Taliban, so they're definitely a really vulnerable group who have been seeking safety for a long time. So please have a listen to the song Amina. Thanks for listening. 
Hi, this is Rafiv Ziada and you're listening to 3CR Pro-Palestinian Happily Proud Radio. Amina, 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 Amina,
وقتی نمازیشان بود امینه جان دبان بود چشمش به سوی مداب نرمده گشت و گام بود نرمده گشت و گام بود وقتی نمازیشان بود امینه جان دبان بود چشمش به سوی مداب نرمده گشت و گام بود چشمش به سوی مداب نرمده گشت و گام تشکر دوستای عزیز لطف دارین تشکر You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online 3CR Radical Radio